Well, in Malachi's time, there's a call from God to his wayward people that they would return to him. Worship had become half-hearted, slipshod, sacrifices were the uh, dregs of what they had, the things, it wasn't sacrificial, it's what they could uh, really do without was presented to God and God challenges them, try presenting such things to your earthly governor and see how he would respond and um, how do you think I am responding, is this really what you think of me? A lot of the problems are down to the lack of teaching coming from the, uh, from the priests, not fulfilling their task. And um, here comes this call in chapter 3 and verse 7. A call with a promise, return to me and I will return to you. But the people are nonplussed. Well, what do you mean, return? We haven't gone uh, anywhere. In what way should we return? And so he becomes very specific now, does the Lord, and uh, puts his finger on one area. Uh, will a man rob God, yet you have robbed me? But you say, in what way have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings, you are cursed with a curse, for you have robbed me, even this whole nation. And the word, remember, for robbed uh, really means plundered. Uh, there's violence uh, about it. Uh, God is not receiving for the work of the gospel there in the Old Testament uh, what is due to his precious Name. He's given instructions, uh, those instructions are not being taught and therefore the people are not following. Ignorance though of the law is no excuse, we're still guilty under the law of God and it's uh, a preacher's um, position and uh, urgent priority uh, to proclaim the word and to make it known, make it clear. Uh, what many preachers do of our ilk is something very simple, really. It's called uh, expository preaching, and the clue's in the name. It's exposing what's in a passage, and so to choose a book and go through it. And as you do that, you have no agenda. It's where the passages are going to lead. So here we're being led towards uh, the area of giving. And uh, last Sunday we were looking at some of the Old Testament principles. Uh, bring all the tithes into the storehouse. And we looked at tithing in the Old Testament. We saw, uh, for one thing, it predates the Mosaic Law. Uh, long before it was enshrined in the Mosaic Law, there were instances of tithing. We looked at uh, Abraham giving a tenth to uh, Melchizedek the priest, and we looked at Jacob promising to give to God directly uh, a tenth if uh, God would bring him back safely to, to Bethel. But these were one-offs. These were not regular tithes. But in the law, uh, we find enshrined in the law regular offerings and tithes to be brought to the Lord. Uh, they were brought into a central place, the tabernacle and later on into the temple. They were used primarily for those who worked around the tabernacle and the temple, for the Levites. And then the Levites themselves, having received the tithe, would tithe their tithe, and the tithe of the tithe was given to the priests. Now you might think, what's the difference between a Levite and a priest? 
Uh, all priests are Levites, but not all Levites were priests. The priests directly handled the sacrifices and made the offerings before the Lord. The Levites tended around the tabernacle and the temple, but didn't present uh, the offerings. And so uh, these men who worked around the tabernacle, that great picture of the gospel, Jesus Christ, the temple, the curtain, the blood that went through, the showbread, I am the bread of life, the lamps, I am the light uh, of the world, the sacrifices being made, the great day of atonement, that great sacrificial uh, lamb, and uh, one is the scapegoat, it's sent away into the wilderness, symbolic of carrying sin away, the other one slaughtered and the blood brought into the holy of holies. And uh, Jesus Christ fulfilling all these things, but the Old Testament forms and types and shadows had to be maintained meticulously. And so the tithes were brought in. But as well as for the Levites and the poor we, uh, and the priests, we saw that tithes were given also for the poor amongst God's people and for foreigners. Um, being brought into the temple then in the tabernacle, failure to do that brought God's uh, curses. Obedience would bring His blessings. And uh, failure, you see, I might think, well, I... Uh, uh, there I am, I, I can't afford to give a, a tenth to give to God. Thinking Old Testament now. Well, says God, your failure to do that means this. You retain money, you put it into a bag, but I tell you what happens, it's got holes in it. Or the mildew comes and the blight and your crops don't produce. You think you're wiser than me? Trust me, trust me. Have I ever let you down? Can, can we raise our Ebenezer? Here I am, 66, still living and breathing. It's only by the grace of God. Here I raise my Ebenezer. Hither by thy help I'm come. How am I going to make next week, next month, next year? Well, he's done it so far. He'll continue to do it. He'll continue to keep me as I lean on him. But if there's obedience, what a, what a promise. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse that there may be food in my house, and try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such a blessing, there will not be room enough to receive it. So now, today, we laid that platform, that background last week. Uh, this New Testament gospel age, here we are, we're not Old Testament now. I'm not a priest or a Levite. Uh, I am uh, a called pastor, teacher, um, none of us here are Levites, but we're all a priesthood, let's make that very, very clear, we come directly to God through the finished work of our great high priest, the Lord Jesus Christ, but in this gospel age, what about tithing? Now, there are arguments for and against, um, my position is it, it wouldn't be a binding rule to give 10%. Actually, if you worked out the tithes in the Old Testament, it's more like 20%. If you want to be strictly legal, it's more 20% than 10% when you add them all uh, together, plus the offerings on top of that. There is no tabernacle. There is no temple. There are no Levites. Uh, we're all a priesthood to God. The, the ceremonial law shadowed the good things to come and foretold them and prefigured them 
have been fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ. So we are the temple here as the Lord's people indwelt by the Spirit of God. The moral law continues. The arguments can be made for the tithe continuing as a strict percentage. Certainly Jesus Christ uh, spoke to the Pharisees and uh, he, uh, he pointed out to them that um, they, they tithe all that they had, which he didn't uh, say was wrong, uh, but they neglected the weightier things of the law. And so Jesus says to them, do the weightier things without neglecting these lesser things, as he put it. So Jesus Christ mentions tithing, but he also mentions sacrificial offerings. If you're making your offering before the altar, you have something against your brother. Leave the offering there, go and settle matters with your brother, then come back and make your offering. But we're not saying he's commending uh, animal sacrifices. They have been fulfilled in the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ. But if we're taking the position which I'm taking that it wouldn't be a hard and fast 10% or 20%, there are principles that we can gather from the Old Testament teaching and that can be wonderfully coloured in by New Testament principles and teaching that is given. So here are some principles to begin with. Whatever we are giving, and uh, today we uh, were told by the uh, announcements each week, if you want to give to the work of the church, there are ways of, of doing that. And um, it's, it's highlighted, it's in the news sheets, and if we're members, uh, we know how to go about that. But all our giving, here's the first principle, whatever we might give, is to the Lord. So we're not giving to Heath Evangelical Church, it might be channeled through Heath Evangelical Church, but all giving is to the Lord. And let's not forget that what we retain is His also. <laughs> you know, I have nothing that He hasn't given to me. And if I might say, well, but I worked jolly hard for these things. Who gave you, if it was physical labour, who gave you the physical prowess to be able to work hard? You can quickly take that away. Oh, but I've worked hard with my mind. I studied, I slogged away, I passed those exams. I worked hard for my professional exams, my friend, myself. Who gave you the ability to be able to think in such wonderful ways I couldn't even dream of? It's a gift from him. And thank God you're using it well. But these means of creating a wealth and an income. Uh, he has given them to you and you have been blessed through him. And all that I have, he gave me. All that I am, he made me. All that I ever hoped to be, Jesus alone can do for me. So whatever I give is his already and what I retain remains his. And when I leave this planet, I'm not taking it with me. How much did they leave? Everything took nothing with them. So whatever I give, okay, I give, and it goes into the Lord's uh, work. What I retain, I am a, a steward of. I'm a steward. I'm an overseer. And one day, I must give an account as to how I have used my, and I'm only a steward, house and car and 
my bank balance and my whatever it might be. Because he's given them to me. They're to be used to his glory and for the common good. And I will give an account. Let's not forget that. There's a wonderful principle. Everything comes. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of the heavenly lights with whom there is no variableness or shadow of turning. So it's all from him. What I give is then to him, only part of what he's given to me. And what I retain, I've got to see I'm a good steward of. Because nothing, nothing, nothing is mine. I'm a steward. A steward. And what is it for? Here's another principle then. The gifts that I give are for gospel work. It was for the Levites and the priests. I'll come on to the poor and the foreigner in a moment, but for primarily the Levites and the priests. It was for that gospel foreshadowing work there in the Old Testament. But my gifts in these gospel days, what are they for? The money that comes in to a local church should primarily, again, be for gospel work. Those who minister the gospel. And uh, the bulk of the money coming into a local church ought to go on personnel who are proclaiming the gospel. That's, that's pretty clear. Let me read from Luke chapter 10. Start at verse 2. And he said to them, the harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers. A laborer is a worker. It's a pretty good word, laborer. Pictures hard work. And any preacher worth his salt ought to be a, a hard worker. A laborer into the harvest. Go your way, behold, I send you out as lambs among wolves. Carry neither money bag, knapsack, nor sandals, and greet no one on the road. But whatever house you enter, first say peace to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest on it. If not, it will return to you. And remain in the same house, eating and drinking such things as they give. For the laborer is worthy of his wages. Do not go from house to house. And then going across to the, one of the letters, well, go to two of them actually. First of all, 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse 17. 1 Timothy 5, 17 and 18. Let the elders who rule well be counted worthy of double honour, especially those who labour, again a good word, in the word and doctrine. An interesting scripture is chosen, for the scripture says, you shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain. You shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain. And that's from Deuteronomy chapter 25. And also another text, which is from Luke, the labourer the labor is worthy of his Wages. So here's an ox, it's doing some work, it's treading the grain. Uh, let it eat the grain. Don't muzzle it while it's doing that work. Well, let's see further about these oxen and their 
grain treading in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and start at verse 7. Again, some principles given by Paul, directed by the Holy Spirit. Whoever goes to war at his own expense, well, I, I wouldn't know of such a thing as a soldier buying his own equipment and weapons and paying his own passage out to a, a war zone. I, I couldn't think of such a thing. Who plants a vineyard and does not eat of its fruit? And I've planted lots in my garden. I'm uh, looking at the cabbages and uh, licking my, my lips. I've had some potatoes. We've uh, I've got sweet corn on, on the way. Lovely plums growing in, in the front. We've got rhubarb. We've got raspberries. The strawberries have been a disaster again for the third year. They're being pulled up this year. They've had their scriptural lot. Three years, that's it. They are going. But yeah, I planted them then I expect to, to eat from them. Or who tends a flock and does not drink of the milk of the flocks? Do I say these things as a mere man? Is this my opinion, says Paul? Or does not the law say the same also? And he takes this scripture again from Deuteronomy. For it is written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain. And Paul asks a question. Is it oxen that God is really concerned about here? Or does he say it all together for our sakes? Says Paul, I'm a gospel minister. And he concludes, it's for our sakes. No doubt that this is written, that he who plows should plow in hope and he who threshes in hope should be partaker of his hope. If we have sown spiritual things for you, is it a great thing that we reap your material things? If others are partakers of this right over you, are we not even more? Nevertheless, we have not used this right, but endured all things, lest we hinder the gospel of Christ. Do you not know that those who minister the holy things eat of the things of the temple, and those who serve at the altar partake of the offerings of the altar? Even so, God has commanded that those who preach the gospel should live by the gospel." So I think that's pretty clear. There's a principle. We're not looking at Levites and priests anymore, but we are looking at gospel ministers and gospel laborers and workers. And as they're sowing the seed of the gospel, as they are laboring, then they ought to reap a reward that is physical. I have to live in a house, we have to eat, we have to go on holidays uh, also. Uh, what sort of income ought a pastor to have? Well, it seems pretty clear to me, looking at those principles again from the Old Testament, that whatever might be an average for a local church ought to be the average for your pastor. If the tribes were giving a tenth and a tithe, and it's coming to the storehouse, then I think that's about right for the pastor of your local church. Uh, he ought to be getting an average of what the people in the congregation get. I don't know how you work that out, but there's a rough rule of thumb. I think a principle that would come from the Old Testament there. So, gospel ministers being supplied by the congregations that they are working amongst. But as well as for gospel work, Quite clearly in the Old Testament, we saw that every third year, tithes were brought in and uh, the 
Levites and the priests benefited, but also the poor who were in the land and also the foreigners and the aliens. So back into 1 Timothy chapter 5. Why did I close that? Here we go. 1 Timothy chapter 5 and uh, verse 16. If any believing man or woman has widows, let them, that's the believing families, relieve them. And let not the church be burdened, so that it, the church, may relieve those who are really widows. So here's a, a principle then. Uh, we've got some needy widow. Does she have a believing family? Then the primary responsibility for that needy widow is the believing family. They will gather uh, around and, and help. But I think that principle operates in the world. Um, there's a, a family we know in St. Melons, a, a single mother has passed away. She left a little boy uh, six. It was the funeral last Thursday. Uh, one of her siblings, this one who has passed away, six children, now there are five. One sister is taking that little child in. She's not a rich lady, and the family are gathering round to help supply a bigger home for them to move into. Well, they're not believers, there's a principle that operates. But if in the local church there is somebody in need, I mean, widows are mentioned here, generally speaking, a widow might be well provided for by her husband, or she's had a good job herself, and she has a state pension, a private pension, she might be very well, thank you, but not in these days. So the principle would be, those in need, now if they have a believing family, that family can help. If they don't, if there's a real need, then the church ought to be stepping in. Do we, do we see that? If there are those who are in need, uh, asylum seekers coming in and they don't at their wits end, how do we make ends meet? What do we do? Then we are there to, to step in. You see this clearly in Acts chapter 4. Now this is not a, a communist manifesto. It's very interesting. We remain stewards of all that we have, but look at Acts chapter 4 and verse 32. Now the multitude of those who believed were one heart and one soul. Neither did anyone say that any of the things he possessed was his own. I'm just a steward. But they had all things in common. I'm a steward over this area. You're a steward over that area. What are the needs? How can we redistribute? And with great power the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ and great grace was upon them all. Nor was there anyone among them who lacked. For all who were possessors of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds uh, of the things that were sold and laid them at the apostles' feet and they distributed to each as anyone had need. It's not that nobody had anything. We were still stewards, but here's a bit of land I can sell. It can make some, bring some relief to those who, who are in need. Now, how do we operate that in a local church? Well, I'm not too sure, to be honest, what happens here. And I'm an elder. In fact, I'm the assistant pastor. But we have started to think about these things. I know what we did uh, in St. Melons, and it was a lovely uh, system and worked well. 
uh, over the years. We had something called a communion fund. So as well as regular offerings, when we had communion, then uh, an offering was taken up at the end of the communion. It was a retiring offering. And whatever went into that went into the communion fund. And then myself, I would hear of a particular need. And I'd have a chat with the, the treasurer. And uh, together we would conclude, because it was no good just me doing it, or any one person, it had to be administered well, but only me and the treasurer would know uh, a gift would be given. And I, I know, I mean, uh, COVID was a difficult time. And for a while, many men and women were laid off, and there was the furlough scheme. But I think of one family in particular, the furlough scheme came to an end. And at that point, this uh, chat was made redundant. And uh, the church, for about six to nine months, paid him the equivalent of his furlough. So far from being a tithing contributor to the church, for those number of months, they were negative tithers. They actually received. And uh, they were able to keep their house and uh, feed the kids. And uh, their need was met. What I'm saying is, do we have such a scheme? I mean, how are you folks here? Do you see needs? Where would you go if you did have a particular need and didn't quite know where to turn. I remember my student days when we uh, first got married. There was always a uh, month left at the end of the, the money and then well into my uh, working life and living in, in London and young children. And what a joy. Just on occasions, out of nowhere, an envelope coming through the letterbox. The Lord, the Lord knew. And we were able to continue. So looking after gospel ministers and the poor and the needy. There are some principles. Now, motivation. What is my motivation for giving? Always remembering God's great gift to me. Always remembering God's great gift to us. It's wonderful how uh, the Lord inspires the Apostle Paul when he's writing to the church in Rome. In view of the mercies of God, I urge you, Offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Always remembering the Lord Jesus Christ. In any of my giving, I do it in the light of His greatest gift. For God so loved the world, and make it personal, me, He gave, what did He give? the love of his heart, the darling of heaven, his only begotten son, who lived and died and rose again, that whoever believes in him might not perish, but will have everlasting life. What a, what a gift, and my giving is always in the light. That's my motivation. Serving him who has loved me so dearly, Romans chapter 6 and verse 23. The wages of sin is death. If I want what I deserve, it's death. But he doesn't want to give us that. My friend, are you saved here this evening? Or are you still outside the kingdom? Because God has a gift for you. The wages of sin are death. But the gift of God 
is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. God wants you to have life, life, eternal life. He wants you to know Him here and now, and that is eternal life, knowing God. He wants you to land safely in heaven, and that forever and forever, and He's paid the price in full. All you must do is repent of your sin and receive the gift. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, in the light of that gift, what is my giving? What's my motivation? It ought to be out of a heart of, of love, and that will transform my giving. Can, can, I, can I afford this? Let's do some, some accounting. Tell the accounting to do. Can I afford not to do it? What about the window of heaven? What about if I, if I retain that extra bit? Well, I'll just take the tax off that and I'll, I'll keep that little bit. And you put it into a bag with holes in it, my friend. And those investments you thought would do so well. What went wrong? What went wrong? Do, do we honour the Lord? Is my giving motivated by love? And it's interesting, that long passage I read uh, last Sunday evening from the uh, New King James version which didn't make things particularly clear but I hope I explained it about there's a need in Jerusalem and a, a year previously uh, the believers in Corinth had decided they take up an offering to relieve the needs of God's people in Jerusalem and they've begun to get this offering together Paul has gone away now he's on his way back and he hears about uh, the Macedonian believers who are really very very poor and they're persecuted. But Paul says, I've been amazed how they gave. They gave according to their means and above their means. They were eager to give. They begged us for the right to give. And uh, now I want to make sure as we come to Corinth that your gift is ready, that you won't be embarrassed. And I'm sending Titus and others to collect the gift and then we're on our way to Jerusalem. But it is interesting that interspersed throughout that passage on giving from the Macedonians and from the Corinthians, uh, these great gospel verses stand out. 2 Corinthians 8 and verse 9. What's my motivation in giving? For he's saying to the Corinthians, You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he were rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich. See what's happened to you in the gospel. Now that verse is over the pulpit at St. Malin's Baptist Church. There's a lovely arch above the pulpit and there is that verse. For your sakes, he who was rich for your sakes became poor. It's a wonderful, wonderful verse. It ought to transform my thinking and my life. And at the end of this section, 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 15, uh, Paul bursts out again, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. So all my giving is motivated by that great gift of the Lord Jesus Christ to me. Another principle to work out, how much should I give? How much should I give? Well, when it comes to the amounts, Again, I'm suggesting there's no definite amount, not 10%, not 20%, but it would be in proportion to my income. Not only the more I get, the more I give, but perhaps proportionately the more I ought to be thinking 
about giving. 1 Corinthians 16 and verse 2. This is going back again to this gift for the relief of the needs there in Jerusalem. On the first day of the week, let each one lay something aside, storing it up as he may prosper, that there will be no collections when I come. When I come, says Paul, I don't want to be scrabbling around and you getting embarrassed about getting it, but put something aside each week. When I come, uh, I will take that offering to relieve the needs of God's people. But set something aside each week, storing it up, but this little phrase, as he may prosper, uh, as you have the uh, ability. So according to your income, laying something aside. The the Macedonians were doing something uh, similar also. They gave according to their ability, And in fact, they exceeded their ability. I had a story about John Wesley that um, early in his life, he found he was able to live on a certain income. And he gave other money away. As his uh, fame spread and as he wrote books and his income increased, he felt comfortable living at the same income. And what he did was, he gave away increasingly more and more. And I don't think there's anything wrong with moving up. From uh, I mean, I think about myself and Jill. We began in Marlborough Road in a one-bedroomed flat. The, uh, the loo was in the lounge through a little stained glass window up two steps and there was no... It's back in the day, all right, but there was no ventilation. And, uh, um, and then the shower was in the kitchen. So you could have a shower and fry your chips at the same uh, time. And, uh, but we moved from, from there and then got a one-bedroom flat in London, then a two-bedroom flat, then a three-bedroom house. Then moved back to Cardiff to work for the Heath Church in 1987. Got a four-bedroom house on Newfoundland Road. And then we got a three-bedroom semi in the Heath that became a seven-bedroom semi by the time we left because we had six children at the time. Then moved to a Welsh longhouse in St. Mellon. So I'm not saying nothing wrong. We couldn't have stayed in that one-bedroom flat in Marlborough Road and, saved six ch- and raised six children. It just wasn't going to happen. There was a need to expand. And now there's Jill and I and Will and Sarah rattling around in the, the longhouse in St. Mellon's. But that's, that's another story but John Wesley kept on at that level and gave the rest away and when he died he left two silver spoons John Newton uh, the great great gospel preacher and worker and hymn writer wasn't a very wealthy man but he had a good friend a man called John Thornton now Newton wanted to do lots of gospel works but didn't have the means to do it but uh, John Thornton a good evangelical man a friend of John Newton's John Thornton was head of the Bank of England and he had a sizable income and a wonderful country home and whenever there was a need he was a good friend of John Newton's they prayed together they talked together they think about gospel works together and Thornton would say no problem this is a good scheme We agree together in the Lord. The money will be in the account. How wonderful to serve the Lord in that way. 
don't mind mentioning Nathan. Here he is sat on the third row. Now, somebody, we don't know who it is. I don't know if it's John Thornton. I think he's in glory now. But someone is funding you whilst you're doing your theological training course. That's very, very wonderful. How do we give in proportion to our income? How do we give generously, generously, these are Macedonians. Paul is saying they gave according to their means and they were poor, but even more than they were able. They stretched themselves. So their giving was sacrificial giving. Uh, they gave generously. Remember I said last week about the incident, you read it again, time's moving on, Exodus chapter 36, about the people giving for the work of the, temp the, the tabernacle and uh, their gold and their silver and their bronze and, and all these things. Eventually, the workers have to say, tell the people to stop. We have far too much. We can't use all that is being given. And how wonderful if the treasurer had to say at the next members meeting, please stop. Please, please stop. There is more than enough. We really are embarrassed now. We don't know what to do with it. God has opened such a window that not only are we carrying on all that we planned, but there's, there's more to be done. And we can help that cause up the valleys and this pastor and that work out in this particular country. See what God is able to do. So we give generously. Our attitude in giving, we give cheerfully. Coming towards an end now, 2 Corinthians chapter 9 and the latter part of verse 7. God loves a cheerful giver. And if you're reluctant, I mean, there in the Old Testament, remember I was talking about the, the gifts, for the, again, for the tabernacle, and God saying, those who are willing, let them give. Those whose hearts are stirred, let them give. Well, God loves a cheerful giver, not a reluctant giver. And in fact, the cheerful giver here in 2 Corinthians 9, the Greek word is uh, hilaros. And guess what word comes from hilaros? God loves a hilarious giver. Oh, to be laughing as you sign the cheque and the, oh, the fits of laughter in the porch. What's happening? Oh, I'm just going to put somebody in the box here. And it's hilarious. Oh, I'm, I'm just so happy giving to this wonderful gospel work. And who knows who's going to be in glory because a new work opened up and this work didn't close down. It's hilarious. God has made me so happy in giving. God so loved the world he gave. What is it for me to give this? It's only his anyway. It's not mine that I'm giving. Final thoughts. We give thoughtfully. 2 Corinthians chapter 7. Sorry, 2 Corinthians 9 and the first part of verse 7. So let each one give as he purposes in his heart. So think it through. Think through what you're able to give. Purpose it in your heart. We're not saying a set amount here, but as the Lord has prospered you, so you will give. But do it thoughtfully and considered, and we give our offerings. And they are regular into that central fund, uh, supplying the gospel work here. And then the, uh, the proportion of that is given, then uh, that other percentage to, to other works, other gospel works around Wales and overseas as well. We've got to mention offerings, and it's ten past seven. I think I'll pause there.
because there's more to say on, in addition to tithes, there are special projects from time to time. And then we'll come on to consider the, the rewards that come from a generous, hilarious giving that's been considered uh, to, to the Lord. But may God lead us and guide us as individuals and then as a church as a whole. How would the Lord have us invest the bounty that he has given to us? But let's, let's pray together. Father, it's not an easy subject to handle. But we thank you for the example of your giving that motivates us in all that we say and think and do. And may it touch this area of our financial support for gospel works. We're not putting out a begging bowl to each other. We're crying out to the living God who owns all things. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. And Lord, out of your bounty, would you make it possible for us to do all the works you'd have us do here locally, throughout Wales, and internationally too. And we'd be careful to give you all the glory. Move our hearts, we pray. Amen. 595, as we move into the communion service, uh, Be Thou My Vision, that very challenging verse, Riches I heed not, nor man's Empty praise, thou mine inheritance, now and always, thou and thou only. First in my heart, high King of heaven, my treasure, thou art. 595. <laughs> 